Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your hosts, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. That's right, it's Talking in Circles tonight. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow, bringing you a great episode of NASCAR Talk. We're breaking down the Toyota Savemar 350 from Sonoma Raceway. Also, a great weekend of racing, a doubleheader weekend at Iowa and the Truck Series and the Xfinity Series. Some exciting racing. We'll discuss that as well. Kevin Harvick won the race at Sonoma today. The Xfinity race was won by William Byron, his first career Xfinity win. And then you had John Hernandez winning this back-to-back races in the Kipling World Truck Series. Also, we'll talk about Fox's last race, what we're going to see with NBC. We'll discuss stages, what we think of them so far, and your phone calls, 917-889-8280, to join the conversation here on Talking Circles. Talking all things NASCAR tonight here. First of all, John, it was a really a, a solid day in all Stuart Haas uh, 1-2 there at Sonoma Raceway today. Uh, Kevin Harvick led the last 22 laps. Past Brad Keselowski, as Keselowski had to pit late, um, still managed to finish third, by the way, but had to pit late and won the Toyota Save Mark 350. A great run by Harvick and something he needed because his 11th different winner in the 2017 season, Harvick virtually, if if we go by uh, past history, is locked into the chase here in 2017. A big win for those guys tonight. Yeah, it was a big win for Kevin Harvick and the four team. And, um, you think about it, he ran the Canon the K uh the NASCAR West the West Series, Canon West Series yesterday and won the race there and I it was sort of the same kind of strategy. He was quiet until the last twenty some laps or so and he wound up pushing himself toward the front. So I think he pretty much did a practice stra- strategy run yesterday with his uh West Series race. But one of the things that was really great about this, whatever you said about it, it was a good it was a borderline great day for Stuart Haas racing uh, with Harvick winning. Boyer was back in the back. How many different times he hit how many other different cars and pulls out a second place finish. If Clint Boyer gets clean air at some point during the race, he probably could have pulled away and got about a half a lap ahead of everybody. Cause that car was on rails today. I mean, it, Harvick won, but I don't think it was the best car on the track. I think the 14 was the best car on the track. Danica, believe it or not, she was up there fighting top 10 most of the day until the two wrecks. But, I mean, none of them were her doing. And she still was able to come through after the first one until um, she wound up getting spun by Junior and Ricky takes her out. But, I mean, she still finished 16th today. And Kurt Busch was respectable. So, I mean, this is the best probably four-car day that Stuart Haas Racing has had in a few years. And it's really good to see. Yeah, it is, and I think you bring up a great point on Boyer, and not to take anything away from Harvick. I mean, those guys over there, they needed that win. They went out, they performed today. They knew what they needed to do. They played the strategy perfect, and that's a big key with with this race today at Sonoma was the strategy because, um, you know, we'd never seen stage racing on a road course yet, and it kind of, I think a lot of people were kind of guessing that it was going to really filter. You know, we're going to see some comers and goers, different players up in the front, And with the tire fall off, it was just interesting how you sort of saw the same group of 20 really up there and mixing it up. And, yeah, you saw a guy sprinkled in here and there, but really it was the same group of 20. Harvick 
did a great job. But let's talk about Clint Boyer because that car, you're right, it hit everything but the pace car. It looked like, I mean, it looked like it just got done at Bowman Gray Stadium beating and banging cars. Uh, the front end was damaged, the back end was damaged, and he probably had, at the end of that race, the fastest race car on the track, like you mentioned. Um, he was eight seconds back of Harvick, you know, eight seconds back of Harvick, but and uh, when the race was clo- close to ending and ended under caution because of Casey Kane's wreck, but he was fast, and that's good to see. Um, you know, build some momentum for that 14 team. Uh, a great weekend for him. Great weekend for Kevin Harvick. Um, and I just think for those two guys, for Boyer especially, man, it, it's got to feel good to close to a victory. Yeah, you want it stinks to lose to Harvick. It stinks to lose your teammate. But you're that close, and it just shows you. Yeah, I know it's a road course, and we don't really we only have one of our other road course on the race on the uh, NASCAR circuit, in the Cup circuit. But it just must feel good and give the team some confidence going into Daytona that they can run up in the top two. And Clint Boyer ran well at Daytona whenever they ran in um, February, and when you run the night race in July, you've got more grip, the speeds pick up, and I've never seen Boyer not have a problem with fast speeds. I mean, you look how well he qualified at Michigan. They're doing over 200 miles an hour on the lap. Um, I think it's good momentum. I mean, we both talked before the season. Um, Mike Bogoravich was put into the crew chief spot of that 14 car, not for Tony Stewart. But he was put in the car a year whenever Tony Stewart's last year because they wanted to pair him up with Clint Boyer. They thought the two of them would work together. Boyer being half nuts, Bogoravich being the uh, ultimate engineer, and it took him about half a season, but I'm telling you, I mean, that 14 car has been better than it was all last year with Tony Stewart. And I'm one of the biggest Tony Stewart fans in the world. And Clint Boyer is in much better shape in that 14 car than Tony Stewart was. I think Tony checked out early, but it, I mean, Clint has picked up the pace on where Tony was at this point last year. Uh, Tony may have won at Sonoma on a strategy move, but I think the 14 car is so much more consistent with um, Clint Boyer behind the wheel. And they're only going to get better because they're now going to tracks a second time where Mike Bogoravich and Clint Boyer have worked together. I mean, I know Harvick won the race, but I mean, the story of the day is the 14 car. A great run for them. And the other team I was very impressed with today was Brad Kozlowski. He said in pre-race introductions, and, and it's very rare to hear Kozlowski um, not in an upbeat and positive mood, but he said in pre-race, our car isn't the fastest, so we're going to have to do something spectacular strategy-wise here to get to, the, to, get to victory. He stayed out uh, on tires as long as he could, waiting for a caution, um, then pitted and f- ended up finishing in the third spot. Really, you know, made the best day of what he had. It's seven, that four, two car, excuse me, was not nearly as good as the 14 or the 4, but a third-place day, a solid day, and it just keeps Kozlowski relevant. It keeps him in the top three. You keep looking at him going, that's a guy who can – it doesn't matter what racetrack we go to, that two team can perform. And they are performing way better than a 22 right now. Um, I think Kozlowski right now to me is my favorite for a championship, and this is why, because they even – you know, Paul Wolf wasn't on the pit box today, but I can guarantee you he had something to do with the strategy before the race for this two team. Um, and maybe he was even texting the interim crew chief saying, listen, pit here, pit, do this to get the most maximum speed out of this two car. Because last is a great driver. That two team took what was looked at as a not a great race car 
and finish third with it. Uh, that's what championship teams are made of, making the best of the day and finishing third when your car wasn't that great. Well, the other thing is when you think about uh, the way Brad Keselowski pulled out the third-place finish today, a great run by that team. But one of the things you, th- you saw early at the late end of stage one where they had a caution, most everybody came in, and it was Brad Keselowski and um, Busher that stayed out. And they wound up banging into each other, and Keselowski tore up the left front of that car early in the race. The two teams did a lot to make it better, make it drivable toward the end. But, I mean, that car was a wounded duck early whenever him and Busher got into it in the first stage. And they were able to pull off a third-place finish with it. So it was great work by Keselowski, great work by the team, great strategy. Um, the one thing with the road course race, I mean, if we were thinking about – you remember many times you look at the mile and a half or anything like that. If you got the cleanest car, you're going to win. I don't think there was a clean car at the end of this thing. No, it was it was very uh, short track like like we saw back in the '90s when these race cars were tore up. Aerodynamics didn't mean a whole lot. And I think it's fun in a way. It's fun where you can kind of beat and bang and lean on each other, um, and that's what I think NASCAR fans. You know, John, you know this, and I've been very critical of road course racing. I, I'm not a huge fan of road course racing, but I think that's the fans of road course racing in NASCAR seeing this. Say, hey, listen. You know, you can beat and bang and, and have some advantage on the race car and continue to um, be fast. And that's what they look for. You know, aerodynamics don't mean a whole lot. And I think that's what intrigues an NASCAR fan here on these road courses. Um, fourth and fifth position went to, went to the Joe Gibbs cars that Denny Hamlin accomplished. A lot of people, myself included, thought Kyle was going to go out there and be able to win today. Had a lot of issues come up during the race, had to come from the rear. Finished fifth, and I think he'll take it. Uh, Hamlin was very fast all day as well, led 11 laps. Uh, but Joga's racing still winless here, John, as we move to Daytona at the start of the second half of the year. I think if you told people, you know, going into the 500 that Joga's racing would never win going towards Daytona, they would be surprised. And yet here we are. They're still winless. Well, and as we keep talking about, 11 different winners now. And that doesn't even – Joey Logano does not count in there. So – you still have Joey Logano who needs a win. Matt Kenseth needs a win. Kyle Busch needs a win. Danny Hamlin needs a win. Clint Boyer needs a win. Jamie McMurray needs a win. Right there are six drivers who need wins and six drivers who are running great. They've been solid throughout the season. Then you added Dale Jr., who is a threat to win this coming Saturday night at Daytona. Um, Almondinger at Watkins Glen, who's a threat to win there. It could be where we have more than 16 winners. It's amazing that we've never, we've never come close to it before. I think the best we've done was 13 once, but we could have 16 winners because there are so many great drivers out there who have not tasted victory lane yet. It is pretty remarkable. And like you said, all to all, uh, four drivers that you're racing, I don't know if you think Suarez will get a win. I mean, he could de- definitely do it next weekend at Daytona. Kenseth hasn't hit a stride yet, but Bush and Hamlin are right there. I thought it was a decent day for those guys. They rebounded and did well. But another issue coming up for Kyle Busch after the race, uh, it looks like a couple lug nuts on the 18 car were not tight. So his backup crew chief looks like might be suspended for Daytona. 
Um, his, his regular crew chief uh, is out. Adam Stevens is out because uh, the wheel fell off the car at Dover a few weeks ago. So he's going to go be the um, crew chief number three at Daytona, John, next weekend. It's Daytona. Handling isn't as big of an issue. Strategy isn't as big of an issue. It's sort of, you know, go go when you go. Um, so that 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 is a positive for him. But I'll tell you what, they got to get these lug nuts figured out because if this is the chase and he loses this crew chief in the chase, it could be a big-time issue for Kyle Busch. I really think at Daytona it's not that big of a deal. They can go to the third-string crew chief. They can pull the guy who – uh, Kyle Busch runs with in the Xfinity series and put him on the cup box for that day to, just to call the race. You know, Adam Stevens is building the car. The car's already built. Everything's already got the strategy behind it. So they're set. All they got to do is have somebody sit up on top of the race and call it. And half the time, Kyle can probably call it from the cockpit and say, I want quarter round a wedge. Uh, we're going to pit in five laps. We're going to take two tires, half a tank, full tank. Um, I want a round a wedge in. I mean, Kyle Busch can pretty much crew chief the thing from the seat at Daytona if he needs to. And, but the one thing is Daytona after it's been a couple of years since they repaved it, the handling is starting to play again. Uh, especially it always does in a Daytona 500 because it gets hot and slick during the day, but handling's starting to play a little bit in the Daytona race. Cause it's not as wide as Talladega. So you're hopeful that the, whoever will sit on the pit box for Kyle Busch will be able to call a good race. Another driver I thought of who's been running great all season when we're looking at numbers of drivers who've won, Chase Elliott, I missed him. So there's another driver. We're looking 18 drivers who legitimately could win at any time. And there's only 16 slots. Yeah, it's going to be a wild, wild, wild last 10 races for this chase. And, and speaking of guy, another guy uh, that I think could win and really missed opportunity today for was AJ Allmendinger. Um, AJ is a guy who a lot of people look at as as a guy who can really uh, is really good on the road courses. But let's be real here; he's got one win on a road course, um, and you know that got him into the chase and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and listen, I, I understand that uh, he's not with the best race team out there, but for how long he's been in the Cup Series, how many big teams he's been with. Um, one win in a road course, it just seems like something happens. I don't know if he gets over-aggressive. He said in the practice, I watched him yesterday, he said this was the best-selling race car he's ever had here at Sonoma. He was ready to go. He was good. He was up front early. He qualified in the fifth position, uh, but then got involved in an accident. It was really never the same accident. They really couldn't fuel his car, but a huge missed opportunity for A.J. Almendinger to get into this chase or at least put himself in a much better opportunity to get into the chase uh, winning here at Sonoma, and that's another guy who he's got to win or at Watkins Glen because the way that 47 team has run all year, he's not going to be able to win anywhere else. So another another missed opportunity. It seems like every year with AJ and this 47 team, they get close, but another missed opportunity for him uh, heading towards the chase. The one thing with Sonoma, it's a more um, technical track than Watkins Glen is. And AJ qualifies great at Sonoma but he's never really put the full race together. I mean, he only has two top tens at Sonoma in the nine shots out there. Watkins Glen is more of an A.J. Allmendinger type track when it comes to a road course because, I mean, you're going from elevation down, high speed, low speed at Sonoma. Watkins Glen is more of a hit your marks and stay on the same pace and you're pretty good. 
I mean, AJ spun himself out once it once today. So it's just something with Sonoma. I think it's the first road course, and AJ's probably thinking, I've got two real shots to get myself into the playoffs. And he probably overdrives the hell out of it when you're at Sonoma. And when they're at Watkins Glen, it's more of uh, it fits like a glove better, so he can he feels more confident there, but he feels he has to push it more at Sonoma. Well, I think you're right. It just seems like he's better at Watkins Glen than Sonoma. But I think a huge missed opportunity, no doubt, for him. And I want to give a call, you know, believe it or not, to NASCAR before we move before we talk about uh, drivers who surprised us. But John, there was about three or four spins in those final uh, that final run there. That was that could have and usually do throw a caution flag for, and it would have messed up the race. It would have maybe maybe made it more. I'm not going to use the word exciting, but would have at least made a restart and made it a little bit more interesting for a lot of drivers. And they decided to hold off on throwing the caution flag there on, on a lot of those situations. And I think that's good. I think a lot of people looked at it and said, "Listen, Kevin Harvick deserved to win that race today." Uh, I'm sure there were people that. Their driver didn't run as good as they should have. They got kind of, you know, Danica, for example, who, like you said, she was in the top ten, but on the longer run it seemed like that ten car kind of faded. She probably would have finished better had it been on a lot of shorter runs. But NASCAR let it run green, and I like that. I think it was fun to watch. You watched some comers and goers to the field because the tires gave up. And I wonder, John, if a driver's speaking out and it got so much publicity last week, that NASCAR said, you know what, we're going to let these races run green and see how it goes. What do you think about that? I think especially um, when Harvick was on a show this week on Sirius XM, and he said, the debris caution, if you can't show it to me, I've got a problem. If you can't show me the piece of debris that caused the caution, I've got a major issue, and I don't buy it. And there are a lot of others. I mean, Tony Stewart ripped NASCAR because, I mean, you think about it, Harvick, Boyer, and Danica were all caught up in accidents after the last debris caution at uh, Michigan last week. Um, I think on a road course, you can there's going to be debris on the track no matter what because half the time somebody's running through the dirt and screwing things up. So you're going to get debris on the track. It's just a matter of if there's a disabled vehicle on the track. That's pretty much what's going to cause a full course caution on a road course. Um, I think it was smart on NASCAR. The one thing I was happy about, and it made it a much better race, they gave them five sets of tires. Normally, they can just, anytime there's a caution, anytime they get a chance, they're bolting on four fresh Goodyears. Today, they had to make five sets of tires last the 110 laps. I mean, granted, it's only 218.9 miles, but five sets of Goodyears, and they said flat out, I mean, you looked at it, 15 laps into a run, you were three seconds slower than you were the first lap. So tire management was very critical to this race, and it showed, it puts it in the seat of the, it puts it in the hands of the driver if you got to manage your tires to win. Oh, I, I totally agree, and I think uh, that definitely made the race more interesting. And there was a lot of people conscious on tires. I know Kyle Busch one time at the end of, the, I think, the first or second stage, I can't remember which one, was running really, really slow because he didn't want to use a set of tires and he knew he wasn't going to fall a lap down. So he, he used that strategy a little bit. It definitely spiced it up a little bit. Um, it was an interesting race, no doubt about it. And we had some really good good drivers. We had some really nice stories, good runs. For drivers we don't normally see up front, 
and I'll tell you, a guy who continues to turn his head, and he got off to a little bit of a slow start this year. I've called this year his sort of uh, show-me season, and that's Michael McDowell. Um, he's the last five or six weeks F95 car at Levine Family Racing has been really fast, and he qualified very good, finished 14th. He's got Todd Perrin, a veteran crew chief over there, and knows what he's doing. And Michael McDowell goes out there today and really, really finishes in the 14th spot. Really does a nice, nice job over there. And it, it was a great job um, by a smaller team to go up there and continue to compete and continue to run in the top 15. Um, another guy I was impressed with today was Cole Witt. Um, I know that 72 car doesn't have a whole lot of funding. They're in their first year in a cup series. But a 21st place run, he beat some big-time drivers up there. Uh, nice job by those two drivers, especially here, John. And I think Cole Whip was playing the strategy game. There was a couple times he was in the top five because they pitted on a different sequence and stuff. But to be able to go out there, run in the top 20 consistently throughout the day is a great run for Cole Whip and his team. I mean, as low on funding as they are, they should be 25th to 30th and being happy. And when they were up there running with the through the day because of pitch strategy, he showed that he can wheel the car around. He may not have the best funded car, or they may be using a car that's probably got a two-year-old chassis or something under it, but he, it was a good day for Cole Witt. Um, two guys who I'd like to call out for um, having a good day today, Chase Elliott, who pretty much destroyed his car in practice on Friday, um, finishes eighth, and Ryan Blaney, who has problems turning right, He's never done well on a road course, goes out there and finishes ninth. I mean, both good runs for those. And on the Michael McDowell front, one of the things with him, he really runs the road course as well. He has a win in the Xfinity Series last year driving for Joe Gibbs Racing at Elkhart Lake. So McDowell, or was that Richard Childers? It was one of the two. But McDowell is a solid road course driver. And um, McDowell can get it done on the road courses mcdowell can get it done on the super speedways he's got a good shot next week because he runs well he drafts well and people trust him being around them and it'd really be nice to see levine family racing get a top five top ten i mean to them that would be like winning the cup championship so i'd like to see that continue i mean it it was another good day matt d benedetto finished on the lead lap in 23rd and he struggles on the road courses but he wound up keeping his nose clean, staying on the lead lap, and did fine. 23rd for the uh, Go Fast Racing Team. That's a great finish for them, considering how far back they usually are. No, you're, you're absolutely right, T-Bandetto. And, and another guy made his cup debut, um, you know, and was kind of getting a little bit of bashed on in practice, but I thought he did a fine job was Billy Johnson in the Smithfield car for Richard Petty. Uh, you know, he was in the top – he ran in the uh, lead lap all day, did what he needed to do. You didn't hear much from him. Yeah, he got a little bit of damage, but who didn't today? Uh, 22nd place run for that road ringer. Um, not a bad day. I mean, a 43 car probably runs there every week, but who knows what uh, the Bob Wallace would have done in his first road course race. So uh, not a bad day for him as well. Um, so definitely some, some sh- nice runs for guys who you don't normally see up there here at Watkins Glen. John, uh, what were your final thoughts? What do you think about the stages today at Watkins Glen? Uh, what were your final thoughts on the racing at Watkins Glen? Well, oh, I, at Sonoma, I'm sorry. Sonoma. 
Uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but we know the road courses yeah, yeah, are yeah. they're fun to watch. Um, the one thing with the road course, the way the stages were set up for this one, I liked the fact that it was 25-25-60. Now, it put strategy into this, especially with only five sets of tires. You were either going for stage points, which meant you ran the whole stage and were trying to win the stage, or you were trying to reverse pit it like they normally do. You're either going for the win or you're going for stage points. And I thought it made it interesting. It had two different agendas going on. It gave some intrigue to what was happening. I thought it was interesting. I liked the fact that um, you didn't have half the race done in the two stages before they got to the final, the final stage to decide it. And it put tire strategy and fuel strategy into the final 60 laps that made up the third stage. I liked that the way they did it. Um, Again, I like the fact there's a lot of um, names that we don't normally hear, especially on a road course with Elliot Blaney. Paul Menard did well with a 11th place finish. And then you had your ones who um, have typically struggled. I mean, it was surprising how bad Almondegger did finish at 35th. Um, a tough break for Stenhouse, Truex blowing up. And, I mean, you showed me right before we went on the air, and we said we were going to talk about it much, but the fact that Casey Kane came out of that car in one piece is amazing. Yeah, it is. That was a vicious, vicious wreck. I mean, you look at the damage. You haven't seen a picture on Twitter. I think Brock Beard had it. Um, unbelievable damage on that five car for Casey Kane, and, and really a tough stretch for Casey Kane. I mean, it's been a really tough stretch for Matt Hendrick to begin with, but another tough stretch. He seems to be wrecking a lot, a bunch of DNFs here lately, and that that final lap, it really um, just ended, it, it really didn't make it for any more drama. Uh, you know, it just kind of ended the race about a turn or two earlier, but a hard, hard wreck, and, and thank goodness he walked out of that car, because, you know, if you listen to the race and the spotters, everybody, all the spotters went, whoa, the five wrecked really hard, and it didn't look that hard, because the angles we saw, we didn't really get a good look at it, but man, when you look at the damage on that race car, you say, man, that had to be... Uh, they, that had to be something that was crazy, you know. So uh, a hard, hard wreck for Casey Kane at Sonoma. So that wraps up Sonoma. Uh, the Toyota State Mark 350, Kevin Harvick, she winner. We move to the NASCAR Xfinity Series, a very interesting night at Iowa Speedway, American Ethanol, E15-250 at Iowa Speedway in Newton, Iowa. Uh, a very good race. Listen, let me start by saying this. Um, Iowa's got that progressive banking, and I thought all three grooves were, were fantastic last night. Uh, it seemed like Goodyear brought a really good tire that, uh, you know, had gave, gave grip to all three grooves, um, and William Byron came out as a winner. We saw a uh, Dylan Lupton in the 24 car was on lead lap, an accident happened during round of green flag pit stops, and he sort of trapped all the, the front runners, except for Byron, really, um, a lap down. And that really changed the complex of the race because Byron, no disrespect to Ryan Sieg, but Ryan Sieg just didn't have the car to really chase down uh, William Byron at the end. 78 laps left for Byron, his first career Xfinity Series win, but I thought a very, very entertaining race at Iowa Speedway, John, on Saturday night. I think there's a lot of drivers who are not happy with Dylan Lupton today. Um, By him staying out and – 
when you stay out like that, the cars that are lapped down who just pitted because the accident happened on a pits on a sequence of green flag pit stops. If the leader stays out, there's no wave around. So the leader stayed out, which was Dylan Upton. And he got some great TV time for his sponsor for the three or four laps. They were under caution and they were talking about everything that came around with it. But there were a lot of really good cars that were trapped a lap down. And it hurt the race, but it brought up a lot of intrigue. I mean, it was great to see Ryan Sieg running in the top five. I mean, how many of these guys, you think about it, had their best finish ever? William Byron, Ryan Sieg, Tyler Reddick, Ross Chastain finishes fourth. I mean, Jeremy Clements finishes seventh. They are all drivers. Garrett Smithley, tenth. Tommy Joe Martin's 11th. Those are all best finishes of these drivers' Xfinity Series career. And it all happened because Dylan Upton stayed out when there was a caution during a uh, green flag pit run. And it made for a great race for intrigue. I mean, great intrigue. It was really awesome to see a a lot of guys who are doing everything they can to become solid Xfinity drivers and again, I love it whenever they have non-companion races because I'll you see the Xfinity drivers really be the stars of the show, not the Kyle Bushes and Brad Keselowski's and Joey Logano's and Kevin Harvick's come down and steal the trophies. You know what it felt like last night in the Xfinity race? It felt like, believe it or not, a NASCAR Xfinity Series race last night at Iowa. It was amazing because you see these names – and it's funny because the slogan of that series is names are made here, or at least it was. And we, I used to laugh at that because I'm like, is it really? Because every time we look at it, go to a companion event, the top six is full of cup guys. And I know last night was a very, very rare circumstance where you're not going to see Ross Chastain in fourth, Dakota Armstrong in fifth, Garrett Smithley in tenth, Tommy Joe Martins. You're not going to see those guys up there on a weekly basis, even if we do run on a non-companion event. But – that is what we call names are made here because now you have, people, you have people watching this race going, Garrett Smith, we never heard of him before. Okay, he finished 10th for Johnny Davis. Wow, Johnny Davis. Well, who's Johnny? What's J.D. Motorsports? What's B.J. McLeod Motorsports? It's good to see. It levels the playing field. I mean, think about it this way. And they talked about this last night at Iowa. A lot of the um, cup-affiliated cup teams in the Xfinity Series had to use different pick crews. And it's her a couple of those couple affiliate teams because those pickers don't work on a weekly basis because usually they just pull down Kyle. You know, for example, a Joe Gibbs racing team uh, at Christopher Bell yesterday would have pulled down Kyle Busch's pick crew or Matt Kenseth's pick crew, and they would have pitted the car if it was a companion event. They don't have that this week. They don't have that luxury because NASCAR's all the way out in Sonoma. The Cup Series is all the way out in Sonoma, and they're not going to fly them back, back quick enough. Same deal with the spotters. The spotters were a little bit different. And I know that's not as big of a deal, but it means something. It levels the playing field just a little bit for those non-affiliated uh, cup teams. And I think that's what makes it so great. It was felt like an actual Xfinity Series race. Goodness, I wish we could see that more and more. I mean, Iowa was such a fun race race to watch yesterday because, it, like I said, it was all three groups. And those guys were really running for points as hard as they could because they knew every, every spot was points because there was, what, one guy, maybe Hornish, not running for points this year, or Christopher Bell because he's running for a truck series. 
you know, uh, I just, to me, it felt like an, X, an Xfinity Series race for the first time in a really, really long time, and I loved it. I think it was fantastic the way they did it. I, I really think if NASCAR is committed to the three series and they want good racing in the three series, I really believe that if they're going to be smart, they should go truck and Xfinity cars as a companion event and run somewhere other than when the cups are. Because this was great racing in both series at Iowa. Iowa Speedway is a great track. I mean, Rusty Wallace basically designed it, and he wanted to make it like Richmond with some adjustments. And it had everything you wanted. You had the top working, the bottom working. I mean, Christopher Bell was running away with that race and got caught up in somebody else's mess. I mean, when Ryan Reed spun and wound up taking Christopher Bell out, and he still wound up finding a way to get back in on the lead lap. I mean, Christopher Bell was wrecked up pretty good, but somehow he stayed on the lead lap, finishing 16th. But, I mean, you saw some great racing from guys who we hope have a chance to get to the show sometime. I mean, we, we, we talked a couple weeks about it. Whenever he was at Dover, Ross Chastain, uh, the watermelon man, uh, was excited. The fact that he got the chance to drive the 15 car – and pulled home a top 20 finish. He was up there throughout the day. He ran well. He didn't get in anybody's way. He didn't cause any issues. And then he goes out and finishes fourth where there's no cup guys around. Maybe people start mm-hmm. noticing these guys and give them a chance whenever they get a chance to run by themselves. But when you're the Xfinity champion without a win and your best finish is seventh throughout the year, because there's six cup guys beating your brains in 26 weeks out of the year, it makes it much better. And I'm looking forward to seeing what it's going to be like when the chase happens, because this year they shut out the Kyle Bushes, the Brad Keselowskis. Anybody who doesn't have more than three years or five years experience at the cup level, they're not allowed to drive whenever it comes chase time. So that'll make the yep. chase interesting when it comes to the Xfinity series. And we saw guys like, and I know Hemrick finished off the lead. Daniel Hemrick finished off the lead lap, and Ben Kennedy as well. We saw even those guys competing for top fives, and usually they're back competing for for the tenth spot. You look at it and you go, tenth's not really a great day. But when you look at fifth, you go, hey, they're 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 pretty good. They're having a pretty good day. Um, so I was excited to see that. I was excited to see some even young kids, young raw talent, Kyle Benjamin for uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, and then you had Tom Majeski making his his Xfinity debut for Roush, the best eye racer in the country going out there to Iowa, and he was up, he qualified decent, qualified 10, had a tough day, no doubt about it, but the intrigue to that race, just to see when Jeske, what can he do? He showed some spikes to the brilliance, got, got into a couple of tips out there, no doubt about it, but he'll be back. He learned a lot. It was nice to see. Sam Hornish Jr., former IndyCar racer, you know, got up into an accident where uh, Christopher Bell got a little bit loose and, and slid into him, and he hit the outside wall. But there, to me, it was just really not refreshing to see these names, these guys in this series, different names, different guys in this series have an identity. And I thought Iowa Speedway, like you said, it's a great racetrack. Um, it's definitely, to me, the next one in line to get a cup date. But I agree with you. I think if you're going to do standalone events in the Camping World Truck Series and in the Xfinity Series, do them together, do them as a doubleheader weekend, let these fans get bang, a big bang for their buck like they do at Iowa, um, listen, I, I don't think you're gonna you would hear a a bad word about the race in Iowa 
boats races in Iowa this week. I thought they were very, very uh, great. And it was nice to see, refreshing to see in the Xfinity Series, especially the uh, the ex- younger names and the newer names in that series. Also, you had the um, M&M's 200 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series race in Iowa this week. Uh, John Hearn, even check John, won his second consecutive race. He won at Iowa last week. Wins at, or he won at Gateway last week, excuse me. Wins at Iowa this week. Um, held off Johnny Sauter there in the closing stages. Uh, two big wins in a row for John Hunter Nemechek, a team that really needed some funding. Uh, what were your thoughts on that race there with John Hunter Nemechek being victorious? I, we said it before, John Hunter Nemechek is a very, very talented young driver. Um, we said it before, and he's even said about it, that his actions in Canada last year probably cost him some funding, probably cost him a chance to go Xfinity racing at times. Um, but he's fighting with the family team. I mean, he's got eight guys working on that truck and one of them is his dad. And you think about it, Joe Nemechek is doing a start and park with the 87 truck, just so they can get more race winnings to put into John Hunter's truck because the sponsorship in there throughout the season, I'm thinking two wins. You're hoping some sponsorship's going to come around. But the way it is right now, I mean, you look, Timothy Peters was not in the race again because Timothy Peters doesn't have sponsorship attached to him. He's a solid driver, but he had no sponsorship. John Hunter Nemechek, they're going to fight and kick and find every way possible. I got a feeling Joe will mortgage the house if he can to keep the truck running because they're locked into the truck series playoffs. And I think you give John Hunter Nemechek a chance with a solid truck he can run with anybody. I mean, you look, Johnny Sauter's probably between him and Matt Kraft, and they're the two best veterans in that field. He got he passed Sauter, did a smart move on strategy to make sure they had a set of fresh tires toward the end, but he drove away from Sauter and had to pass him. I mean, Sauter never makes himself easy to pass. And John Hunter Nemechek did it with six laps to go, led the final six laps, and wound up winning the race. It was a great job for John Hunter Nemechek. Again, yeah. with the truck series working companion with the with the Xfinity series, you were able to see a Jesse Little run. You're able to see a Harrison Burton run. You were able to see a Scott Legacy Jr. have a decent run. I mean, it was really nice to see the trucks run away where there's no cup cars in the area. Yeah, and the trucks, I mean, the evasion of the cup guys isn't nearly as bad in the trucks for whatever reason. As it is an extremely, I think part of it is you have more non-companion events in the truck series, um, but no doubt a great weekend at Iowa. I think when you look at you talk about John Hunter being locked into the chase, when you look at the championship race right now, the way we sit, and I think Thor Sport Racing is behind, and that's why I'm not going to put Matt Crafton in this conversation. He had a tough weekend this weekend on Iowa, wrecked with a teammate, uh, Grant Enfinger, who had a decent day, but to me. Thor Sport is not where they were a year ago. They're, they need to find some speed in those car and those trucks. Maybe they'll come around here in the next couple of weeks. But Crafton, especially, has not run where he normally is accustomed to running in a top five. He's been more of a top ten racer. So when you look at that, you know, I think the two favorites you immediately point to are Bell and Chase Briscoe. Um, you know, Briscoe had a decent day, week again this week. Kind of got called off on strategy there at the end. He finished seventh. But everything I've seen from that kid. He is a racer. He's 
become within inches of winning races. He will win a lot of races. That kid, Briscoe, I'm telling you, he is good. I really like him a lot. Same thing with Christopher Bell. Christopher Bell, no need to to, uh, to talk about his talent, you know, because he's proven it on a racetrack, led 99 laps this week. He's great. Then you got Sauter, and then I think it's Nemechek. Uh, Sauter, no doubt, he's a veteran. Um, he, he's a great driver. GMS uh, Racing has is, is given him the best equipment possible to win races there. And then, of course, you got Nemco, who's sort of the dark horse. John Hunter Nemechek is, is sort of the dark horse to win the championship. I think you're just kind of pulling for him. They're going to get sponsorship on that car. But the, to me right now, John, those four are the four candidates to go uh, – to me, that are, are the big-time championship contenders in the truck series. I don't know if there's anybody else really out there. You could say Crafton for sure, but again, I think that team is a little bit behind. Uh, but those four are the main four that I would right now at this point here on, on June 25th, where I'm looking at for the Camper Truck Series championship, I think one of those four is going to be it. I'm not going to rule out Matt Crafton, and part of it, they did a big piece on um, the race hub prior to the truck race, where it was one year ago that the Thor Sport building burnt to the ground. I mean, they gutted that building and they lost some trucks out of it. They saved some of them and they had some really good stuff in the truck last year. I think a lot of Thor sport money went into rebuilding the facility and getting it back together where they were so busy focusing on getting a place for them to work on the trucks together that they haven't been able to work on the engineering to get caught back up to where things are. It's still early in the season. I mean, it's only June by the time we get to the, uh, truck series playoffs in September, you give Matt Crafton two months to get their act together. I think they're going to be just fine. Um, Sauter, you got to, I mean, you know, he's locked in. Um, and, and if you look at the playoff points that are sitting there right now, Christopher Bell has 14. John Hunter Nemechek has 11. Johnny Sauter has 10. Kaz Grala is at five from winning the race in Daytona. But Chase Briscoe, who's running great, only has one playoff point. Same way with Matt Crafton. Both of them have a stage win, but neither of them have a race win. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Um, as long as John Hunter Nemechek can stay on the track, keep doing himself um, solid and keep proving things, I think he's going to have a chance to get a sponsor throughout the season. And I got a feeling Richard Childers Racing is going to make sure that they get a sol- they get solid engines whenever they go chase racing. Cause I think Chevy wants to see either Sauter or John Hunter Nemechek hold up the trophy at the end of the year. Cause I mean, you've got Ford with Chase Briscoe, you've got Toyota with Christopher Bell and Matt Crafton and Chevy's hopes are riding on John Hunter Nemechek and Johnny Sauter. No doubt. And, uh, you know, I think it makes it interesting for the truck series. Now in seven eight nine eight two eight zero to join a conversation today and talking circles. Today's show is brought to you by HIQ Energy Drinks, Carolina Security Consultant, and Unforgettable here on Talking Circles. Something interesting, John, that came out news wise in the truck series this week, and I want to get your take on it, is and even Marco Simonis, who uh is the owner of Camping World, he he purchases the series, uh the sponsor the series every year since Craftsman's left, which I believe has been over 10 years now since Craftsman left. So Camping World is in it. Um, obviously, the big race in the truck series, a race that a lot of people are looking forward to, is the race at Eldora Speedway on July 19th. It's a dirt race. It's a great race. Um, they've moved that race from Fox Sports 1 to Fox Business News. Uh, I believe it's it's U.S. Men's National 
soccer team quarterfinals or something like that on FS1. So they've moved the truck series race to Fox Business News. How do you think that impacts this series? And how do you think it's going to impact the race at Eldora? Because this is a race a lot of people look forward to. And not I know a lot of people don't get FS1, but I know a lot more people don't get Fox Business News. What are your thoughts on that? Um, it kind of ticks me off. But Fox has to look at what they're paying for. They're paying more money to cover the U.S. men's soccer team than they are to cover the truck series. And as much as you and I and most NASCAR fans um, love the Eldora um, Mud Summer Classic or whatever they're calling it now because they got a lawsuit against that. But the race at Eldora is special but it's special to a lot less folks who than those who are following the U.S. men's soccer team. As sad as it is, that is a reality. And Fox is paying a hell of a lot more money to cover men's soccer. It just happened that the draw happened for that game on that day where they're kicking the ball around and they're going to go nil-nil and go to overtime in a shootout when we're going to have – a great race at Eldora. I almost yep. wish Fox would just put the soccer game on big Fox and leave this on FS1 because who's watching Fox in the summer. You're watching reruns of all the shows that suck throughout the year. There's nothing really on that Wednesday night. Maybe put the Eldora race on big Fox and not Fox business. It's a uh, sad state of where things are. And it shows, I mean, the funny part is the Eldora race probably gave, I think it gave Fox Sports 1 their best ratings for truck series throughout the year, every year they've run the race. Yeah, and, and that's the scary part. And, and this comes down to the TV contract. And I'm not trying to pile on here. Uh, I just think this TV contract, when we sign this next one, we have to look out what's, for best, what's best for NASCAR. There was a lot of talk about when they signed it. Well, they got however many billions of dollars they got for the TV deal. That's a record-breaking deal. It's wonderful. But you can't keep having this happen to your sport. We've seen it a few times with NBC. We've seen it a few times with Fox here now. Remember Fox, when it was on speed, they moved the race from uh, a truck race to speed or something like that. I can't remember the exact terms, but we've seen it a lot. And just because they pay a lot of money doesn't mean it's for the best interest of NASCAR. I know when um, they signed this deal, there's a lot of talk. Well, they're still keeping 13 cup races on national TV. That's wonderful. But the truck series, we need to look at it and say that race in outdoors, I think the premier event for the truck series, you can call it Daytona if you want, but uh, it's a very unique event. It's a lot of fun. The qualifying race is going to be on FS2, which, and that's the thing. they got other avenues to put them on. They can put it on FS2, but they don't want to do that. They don't want to put it on Fox. They put it on Fox Business News. A box, Fox Business Network, excuse me. Uh, it's just, it's, it's sad. And I wish when we sign this next TV deal, we look at what's for the best interest of NASCAR. And NASCAR says, you know what, we don't want that there, and figure out a way to put that on there. Whether NBC, SN, uh, puts that race on there or whatnot when when this next TV deal is up, because uh, I don't think this is going to be something that is going to be very rare here coming up in a couple of years. I think if, if Fox wants to move something off and they they got a better rated rate uh, sporting event, absolutely you're going to see NASCAR take a back seat. And to me, that's sad, especially this event. 
Uh, I think it's going to go off great. I can't wait for it in a couple of weeks. But on Fox Business Network, uh, not exactly what um, I had in mind when I turned it on, that's for sure. Uh, 9078982 here on Talking in Circles. Speaking of Fox, John, it was our final race this week. Welcome NBCSN in. Um, what did you think about the Fox coverage this year? I know there's been a lot of talk about uh, Jeff Gordon, Darrell Walsh, Mike Joy. You had Larry McReynolds in, a, in his role, which has been reduced. Then you had some pit reporters there. Uh, what did you think about Fox, and what are we looking forward to when we get to NBC? I'm looking forward to no wall trips. That I am looking forward to. Um, I think Jeff Gordon does some phenomenal analysis. I, I think Mike Joy is the voice of NASCAR right now. He was Ken Squire's heir apparent. He followed Ken throughout the thing. He, whenever Ken Squire was the man with CBS, Mike Joy was the lead pit reporter. And Mike Joy does a phenomenal job play-by-play. Um, I miss Larry Mack in the booth. I wish it was uh, Mike, Jeff, and Larry. I, I wish we would get rid of all the wall trips because Daryl hasn't been in a car in 20 years now. or pretty close to it. And he talks about, well, when I was driving, well, Daryl, when you were driving, they were just switching from bias ply to radials. They just started power steering. There was no fuel injection and they weren't professional pit crews like they are these days. So Daryl, you're pretty much out the door. Larry Mack still stays involved with a lot of teams and learns what they're doing. And he can explain all the different pit crew strategies and that the crew chiefs are doing and, crews are up to and what the car is doing when he hears something on the radio. I think Larry McReynolds is a phenomenal talent for the sport who can teach the technical aspects to Joe Lunchpail, who likes watching cars go and wants to learn a little bit about it, but he doesn't think he, I mean, I can't figure out, I, I can't tell you what the difference between um, wedge and what tight and loose is, but Larry makes me understand it. And I really appreciate that. I think whenever they go to uh, NBC, I think Rick Allen is a borderline disaster as a play-by-play guy. He's okay, but Jeff Burton is a great driver. He's good at explaining from the driver's point of view. I really like the way Steve LeTart explains it from the crew chief angle because he just was in the garage three years ago. The pre-race show, I love Dale Jarrett. I think Dale Jarrett does a great job at explaining things to you. Chris Devota is much better at explaining the race. Chris Myers is trying to be a comedian and is better at sticking ball sports than he is NASCAR, but he's stuck around since Fox got the package. Um, I really wish Kyle Petty would either be a serious race announcer or go be a clown. And I wish they'd get rid of Rutledge Wood because he adds nothing to the broadcast. Um, Fox, I mean, NBC's pit reporters are solid. I think it's going to be a different package. It's more understandable to the fans because you don't have wall trips. You don't have Mikey doing a stupid grid walk. Um, you don't have Daryl going boogity, boogity, boogity. I mean, it makes it for the race fan who understands racing. It's a better package when it comes to the announcer's end of it. Um, technical wise, both Fox and NBC are phenomenal when it comes to shooting angles and making sure the race is covered. I just wish there were more races on big NBC instead of NBCSN. Me too. Because it's a struggle to find it. 
thankfully, I know where NBCSN is better on my TV than I do Fox Sports 1 because I watch Dan Patrick. But I think if it was more on NBC, it'd be great. But you understand what the networks are trying to do. They're both trying to build sports networks, and they're using uh, NASCAR as their big selling point to begin their, um, especially with NBC, because they don't have baseball like Fox does. Yeah, and, and an interesting thing, and I, listen, first of all, uh, Larry, I agree with you about Larry Mack. I think he's great. Um, he is, to me, the hardest-working guy in the garage area. Uh, he knows his stuff inside and out. I, I love him. Uh, I hope his role is is uh, bigger next year in some capacity um, because I think his role has been diminished, and it, it really kind of takes away from the broadcast. Uh, as far as NBC goes, a very interesting topic this week, or last week, was was reported on um, about a guy named, and I, I'm sorry if I say this wrong, Ato Bolden. He will be joining NASCAR's NBC feature reporters starting at Daytona on July 1st. He admits that he isn't familiar with NASCAR as he is with sprinting, but he's willing to tackle a new sport. He can only name three drivers in the Associated Press, the late Dale Earnhardt, Dale Jr., and Jeff Burton, who is, again, his broadcast partner. Um, but, you know, to me, I, I'm, I watch the race to be educated. I watch the race to um, because of, of the racing. This is a very interesting guy. I think it's a dive for diversity from NBC's part. But to me, they should have just gotten out and, and paid a lot of money to uh, – you know, Brad Daugherty, who, who's a great NASCAR analyst and is an owner and knows a lot more about NASCAR than this guy. Uh, you know, I don't know if I like this, John. I think it's just, to me, this Bolden guy, um, you know, I know you and I know more about NASCAR than he does by far. So why should he be added to this NBC broadcast? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, part of it, I think, might be where he's trying to tell the story from – a different point of view. I mean, he's doing features. So he's going to get, there's going to be a producer that writes a package for him. There's going to be somebody who writes the questions for him. It's somebody new to be in there. Um, if it takes time away from Rutledge Wood, hey, I'm all forward for it. I'd rather have somebody who doesn't know thing about NASCAR than having Rutledge do it. Sort of like whenever I'm listening to Dialed In and I hear Claire B. I mean, drives me nuts. Um, she asks the simplest questions in the world and then says, so what do you think about that? And it's like, okay, they're going to say whatever they think. So let's get somebody who, thankfully the producers at NBC will probably give him good questions. They're, they're going to tell stories about things of the drivers that you didn't know. And hopefully it'll be worthwhile. Um, it's going to be a couple minutes in the pre-race show. It's not going to kill anything. I don't think it's going to kill any of the race. Um, I don't think you're going to intersperse it inside the race or anything, or just throw it to him just to throw it to him. I think they'll, once the race, the green flag drops, they'll go solid race coverage. I think it'll be something to be added to the pre-race show and on NBC or NASCAR America. I hope so. And listen, I just, where I get fearful is I just don't want, and I feel like we've gotten to this point in some ways where we've dumbed down the fan base a little bit. Um, and I know that NASCAR doesn't want everybody to know everything, but, you know, I spend countless hours, countless time reading articles. I read a really good, by the way, a really good article this week, if you haven't read it. Uh, one on it, uh, Bob Pockers wrote about a 
the simulator, which has really picked up a lot of steam. Drivers are using the simulator a lot more. Uh, some drivers like it. Some drivers don't. Some drivers get nauseous, uh, get sick of it because it's so confined and it's and there's a big TV screen around it. But a really interesting article. So I spent a lot of time out there uh, just reading stuff and being educated, and I feel like that picks up for me. I, that is very rare for the for a lot of other fans out there who sort of just go there, watch the race. The average fan doesn't do that. I just don't want the average fan to be dumbed down because, uh, and that's where I get a little fearful. Now, will this guy's? You're probably right. This guy's role is going to be a a pre-race role. It's probably not going to add much to me, the hardcore fan. It might bring an inside look to where, you know, I read it that he's going to be a uh, like a hauler interview, a hauler driver for Joe Gibbs Racing or be a hauler driver for a day. That's kind of cool. We can kind of see that and stuff, but. You know, at the end of the day, um, maybe he'll be like just, you know, like you said, Rutledge with sidekick with a uh, a little bit of a different background. So if that makes people watch, great. But I just, to me, I don't want, uh, I just don't want the fan to be dumbed down because I think we've done that a lot here with just certain things on how the business of the sport works and stuff like that. And we talked about that knowledge from John on this show about that. And that's part of the reason why we started this show is to educate the fans who don't know a whole lot about that stuff, who can't read between the BS. Uh, that's where we kind of why we started the show, and I just don't want that to happen here on NBC. I think um, again, it's a pre-race show, so you hope it's just something that gives you a good feature about the story, something about you, something you didn't know about the drivers or things like that. I think mm-hmm. um, during the race, I think we're going to see what we need to see and it'll they'll stick to solid race coverage during it at least that's what i'm hoping i'm telling you i'm looking forward to wednesday show clayton um silly season is due to due to pick up real quick and one of the things that uh we'll talk about wednesday for sure is danica and the questions that were asked of daryl and jeff gordon at the end of the pre-race show today should be something well worth talking on Wednesday night when we do our next edition of Talking in Circles. Yeah, I can't wait. It's uh, silly season is going to blossom here in a couple of days, no, a couple of weeks here, no doubt about it. There's a lot of things that need to be figured out. Even Chip Ganassi this week came out and said that uh, Kyle Larson and Jimmy McMurray will be back at Chip Ganassi Racing for 2018. That leaves a lot of, um, you know, kind of, Take Kyle Larson out of the equation. I don't think he was ever in the equation, but there was people out there on Facebook and stuff I read this week who thought he was in the equation for the 88, which is mind-boggling. But that officially ended those talks as well, and we're going to see that next couple of weeks. So silly season will definitely be a topic. I'm sure it'll be a topic about, um, you know, the update on Kyle Busch's crew chief situation, all kinds of that stuff on Talking Circles. Real quick, John, I want to give a shout-out. Uh, my local dirt track, uh, Richie Urich, over there at Orange County Fair Speedway, won his 50th career race at the age of 69 this week at Orange County Fair Speedway. Congratulations to him and his crew over there. Awesome to see only the fourth driver ever to win 50 or more races over there at that racetrack. So uh, a pretty monumental moment over there. Uh, so pretty awesome to see at 69. I love these old guys, John, who can go out there and still run with these young kids and show them something. Um We'll see you next time, Wednesday night, 10.30 or 10 o'clock. Be here for Talking Circles. See you next time. Good night, everybody.